You're listening to the Cliff Temple Podcast, recorded at Cliff Temple Baptist Church in Oak Cliff in Dallas, Texas. So we've started this uh, series called Oikonomics, and Oikonomics is just a made-up word, Trevor. So um, (laughs) Oikonomics, a made-up word. I got the word. I didn't make the word up myself. I got the word from uh, a guy that's done disciple work. discipleship studies and movements for a long time a guy named Mike so, Breen. So if you don't like it, blame Mike. Is that what blame you're saying? Mike, yeah, right. blame Mike Breen. Uh, but oikos, I just, I love the, the concept of the oikos, which is the Greek word for home or household, because the oikos is so much more all-encompassing than our idea of home. So the oikos in the first century would have meant the place where the family lived, the place where extended family lived, the place where they did all of their business. And so oikos, and that and that O-I-K root, to be really nerdy for a second, gets to the root of the same word that we use for economy or ecology. So it's it describes a network of relationships uh, that we see ecologically with the uh, relationship between plants and trees and animals, um, and also with the economy. And so with an idea and a study on something so bizarre as oikonomics, um, we're hoping to help the church as the household of God think about economy and stewardship and the sharing of gifts as a lot more than money. So that's sort of the, the point and the intent. And so we're, we're pairing this uh, study on oikonomics, the art of sharing uh, our gifts, with a report that we put out at Cliff Temple. So we've, we've just put out a 2022 ministry report, and the hope of the report is to tell the story of the church, but also to give us all the opportunity to practice and reflect upon the gifts that we have to share. And those gifts are spiritual, they are relational, they are physical as we think about our our time, our energy, our physical assets that we have to share. Uh, they are intellectual. A lot of us have talents and gifts and abilities way beyond even even things that we know. And, and, and also, a, a finance is a part of that, uh, it, but it takes all of those things. And so investing in all of those things is really, really important. So, um, I, I, you know, let's, we, can, we can take a, a couple of minutes even just sharing this for, for the audience. But um, on our Wednesday night study, we had everybody around the table just pair up in twos and share a little bit about their faith story uh, because the investment of that time of sharing faith story is 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 not only a physical investment, but it's a spiritual one as well. And so I feel like when we share our faith stories, uh, things in us are unlocked. There's creative potential. We see connections, um, and and we actually I, I think even get convicted to maybe share that story a little bit more. So Trevor, share it just briefly a little bit about your faith story. How did you become a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, which is, I guess, a minority maybe in church life sometimes. But uh, my mother went to church, I think, on and off when she married my father. And my dad grew up in a Christian home, but largely um, 
walked, you know, just went through the motions of it and then stopped as soon as uh, they had children. And so for me and my brother, uh, Santa Claus was probably closer to the thing we worship than God because I still, I tell this in my story all the time, I still remember as six, like really clearly Gannon like praying to Santa because I was sent to my room and I really wanted presents that year. <laughs> <laughs> like presents, physical presents. Physical presents. Presence yes, not the presence of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> the presence under the tree. And um, maybe I was younger. But I do, like that is interesting to me that the impulse towards worship and speaking to something out beyond me was kind of manifest in this idea of Santa Claus and whatnot. So uh, that was probably the closest, the most religious I got during that time period of my life and we were uh, we moved from Canada down to um, Katy Texas and within months uh, some friends on the playground had invited me out to to church and so it's just really interesting the power of just asking such a simple question to somebody just children have no they don't think about well, is, you know, this other kid, is my friend going to think I'm weird because I invited them to something I love and I'm passionate about? And none of that exists. It, it was just my friends invited me and I said yes because they were my friends. And uh, so they took me the first couple times to church. The, my friends, uh, Quentin Flowers was the person who invited me. And I've reached out to him in the past and said, isn't it interesting how you asking me just a simple question. I don't know how religious anymore he is. I think he is, but I haven't talked to him in forever. Just said this simple question of asking me to go to church with you. And now that started me on a trajectory of becoming a pastor. And now I'm like sharing my faith with other people and um, all because of just one kid on the playground. And so my family started going with me eventually. They saw it as more or less a good idea and it's not such a bad thing to teach your kids religion. And uh, we actually, my parents, um, you know, we went to old school Southern Baptist sort of church. They prayed the sinner's prayer and my brother prayed it. And because my brother prayed it, I was super excited about it and I wanted in. And um, we all ended up getting baptized together, like all of us. And so it was kind of like a New Testament, you and your household sort <laughs> the of thing. The whole household, the, yeah. whole, the whole oikos. We really do. I remember the day. It was a cold, cold day in Texas, and uh, we were outside getting baptized in the little mm. baptismal thing they had out there. It was really special and kind of set me on this path. Um, when we were sharing at the Wednesday night thing, I was telling noe about my story and said you know, but like really for him and i it was that was only half of it the salvation part the other part was just this kind of growing maturity throughout mm -hmm. my life and a big moment for me was in um, bible school sadly um i had kind of like in high school started living this double life of you know everyone knew me as like the kid who was going to be a pastor and so that put added pressure to keep up a face meanwhile was doing all this other stuff in my background and the first time i ever confessed a sin a sin to anybody um with the exception of saying like i'm sorry for blatant things was to my roommate in college and that was such like a eye-opening moment for me um because for 
that my whole life at that point had been sin management. That's what I thought Christianity mm-hmm. was about. And um, I really quickly realized it's not about sin management. It's about living like Jesus. And when you spend so much time trying to manage your sin and trying to mitigate it and stop it, you miss what the gospel is actually about. You miss the whole half of grace and freedom. <laughs> and that was, yeah, I mean, it still makes me emotional to talk about because I remember shortly after that, I started dating Sierra and I told her about all the stuff I'd done in high school. Um, you know, it's kind of a scary moment because you're thinking, well, this person stick around, you know, we're only really dating. We weren't engaged or anything. And um, she looked at me and just said, how can I help? Like, I think Sierra had gotten grace way earlier in her life than I did. <laughs> and that just blew my faith out of the water at that point. So that's kind of the second moment. The third moment was just all the church hurt kind of compiled. Mm. My parents were hurt by church. My in-laws were hurt by church. We were hurt by church again and church leaders. And um, I was telling someone this morning about this story and how that was kind of the third moment in my life where... I was almost on my way out of Christianity, I think, at that point. But the Spirit really spoke to me and said, if you claim to believe this stuff about living like Jesus, then you have to love... Like, it's almost... The Spirit posited as a question to me. You think you're better than Jesus? You think you had it harder than he did to love the church? And that really challenged me and brought me back. Of Okay, loving the church is seeing how the sausage is made and loving it anyway. And so that's kind of my faith story. I I see it as more than just, there is the moment of salvation, but there's this this ongoing story in my life of grace and learning to love people at the depths of their being. Absolutely. Um, Well, my faith story uh, starts from the vantage point of, I, I, I was raised in a Christian home and I was raised by, parents who were in the church like always we were the last people to leave uh you know church meetings church gatherings um my mother was raised a methodist um and had a pretty um dramatic sort of faith story as a child uh, coming to christ uh, she was shuttled between a methodist grandmother and a mormon grandmother wow and uh, at some point, my, my grandmother was going through cancer treatments uh, all throughout my mother's childhood. And, and there was a the 23rd Psalm on a needlepoint wall hanging in the guest bedroom at my great-grandmother's house. And my mother prayed one day and decided that whatever God came up with the 23rd Psalm was the God that she wanted to know. And... Mm. Um, that kind of began her faith uh, story, and she was confirmed in the Methodist Church, and then as an adult made a, a much more profound decision for Christ uh, in a Baptist church and, and where she and my dad had met and uh, been attending. Um, my dad was um, also a cradle kind of Christian, grew up in a Baptist church, uh, made a profession of faith, I think, at age seven. Um, but here, the the... the amazing thing is, is as a as a young adult in college my dad gave a fuller yes to the lord at a, a, a baptist camp he was on staff at glorietta which was like this legendary baptist uh encampment in northern new mexico 
And I recently found out it was because of a sermon preached by uh, J. Earl Mead. Wow. That uh, led my dad to give the Lord a fuller yes. Um, and, and Earl Mead was the uh, minister of education at Cliff Temple Baptist Church. And now here I am, the pastor of Cliff Temple Baptist Church, you know, decades later. So that's, that's a fresh off the shelf story that I, I learned um, recently. Um, in my own life, because I had this this Christian upbringing, uh, we were we were at church all the time, and and these were still the days where we had Sunday night church, and we would do revival meetings, and and you know being Baptist sometimes. Uh, there were emotional pleas uh, to faith that coaxed uh, young young kids down the aisle, and I remember making a determination at about age nine or ten that I was not going to be cajoled down the aisle by an emotional plea. Uh, so I, uh, I guess from an early age developed, I don't know, uh, some sort of, you could either call it cynicism or discernment. I don't know what was what at that age. But um, I, I remember just kind of being kind of slowly led into faith. I mean, that's starting from an early age, sort of having conversations with God, having almost mystical experiences with God as a small child. Um, then being a careful listener at, at moments when kids were, were called up, you know, to, to hear the, the gospel presented by the, the pastor. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, I heard the gospel presented by Marshall Edwards, who is our pastor, and it started making more sense to me. I was about 10 or 11 at this time. And then at a camp uh, for kids, um, there was, uh, I say, the most unemotional camp pastor ever. I likened him to the the, the comportment of Mr. Rogers. Uh, he gave a call to faith <laughs> and nobody walked down the aisle. <laughs> and so I was like, I think this is my moment. No one wow. is walking down the aisle. Um, I think I know what this means. I think I can clearly articulate this. And so uh, I gave kind of that initial yes to the Lord as an 11 year old. Um, and then at the time in, in my church, they, we um, got to go through a new members class, a new Christians class. And so as a part of that class, there was a kind of almost a rite of passage where we wrote letters to people who'd, be, who'd been uh, instrumental in our faith development. And so we wrote them letters and we invited them to our baptism. And so baptism was then a, a pretty big deal, as I remember um, every candidate for baptism, the, kind of the, the pastor would ask for anybody who was instrumental in that person's faith development to stand. And I just remember that, that in my 11-year-old brain, the entire church stood up. Um, and so I really feel like, you know, as, as Baptists, we place a, a, quite an emphasis on individual faith. But I've always felt like I was baptized into a community um, that that raised me and nurtured me in the faith, and and so it's that that sort of I'm you know, really passionate about like how you be fully individual is through a, a close community. So that's my early faith story, and then like you, Trevor, I've got you know there are a number of moments which I now kind of see as sanctifying moments where I gave a fuller yes to the Lord uh, right out of college. 
Um, I was face down on a field outside of Memphis, Tennessee at a passion uh, conference. It was called One Day back in 2000. And Louis Giglio was one of the preachers. And John Piper, one of the preachers. And it's like the, the, the one and only sermon I've ever really you know, listened to uh, from, from a Piper. But I'm so thankful that he gave that message there that day. Um, it's a legendary sermon that he gave. Uh, called Don't Waste Your Life, and it meant a lot to me uh, as a 23-year-old. Um, and then one thing led to another, so slowly led into ministry uh, in a very unconventional way, and, and now I uh, was a church planter and worked with college students, and now we're here at Cliff Temple. So um, I, I love sharing stories because it just it sort of like normalizes, A, the, the, the story, um, but it also means that each one of our stories is a gift that we get to share with one another. And, and so the more that we can as, as Christians share our faith story with, with people, it's just, it's, it's simple, it's easy, it's just an investment of, of time and courage and confidence. So um, that's something that I, I, I want us all to be a part of uh, doing at Cliff Temple. And we're kind of asking for folks to do that online at a, at a link. We've got a link of clifftemple.org backslash share. And you can actually type out your faith story and share it with us. Uh, or you can just um, start doing that a little bit more um, at coffee or at dinner or wherever you find yourself. Um the sharing of, of our stories um, also, Trevor, helps us recognize the importance of our humanity, um, our lives, our gifts that we share with others. Um, and I've been really interested over the past few years in the life of a French nun. She was a, a, a saint. Um, that died at the age of 24. Her name was St. Therese of Laveau. And um, she very wisely said as a, as a, as a young person that, that we've got to do many little things with great love. And so for her, love was this sort of divine fire. It was this little pilot light that burned inside of her. And so if she was doing things uh, for love, then she was doing them for the right reasons. But if she was doing things that were wrote or because of some sort of obligation or because she was told to do them and it didn't feel like love. And I think we've all been faced with that sort of choice in our life. Are we doing this for love because there's a divine call on our life to do these little things or are we doing them begrudgingly? And so I I just want us to be as a church to be sharing gifts out of love. Um, And again, those things are uh, multivalent. It's spiritual gifts and relational gifts and physical and intellectual and financial gifts. And, and we're getting all of those things um, from First uh, Peter. And I'm going to try to, um, I'm, I'm grabbing my Bible here to uh, get us over to First Peter chapter 4. Um, and at First Peter chapter 4, it, it talks about um, this attitude of hospitality and giftedness uh, as we share our faith. It says um, at verse 8 in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do 
So is one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. And so in there, um, we're sort of challenged as a church to uh, discipline ourselves, to maintain love, um, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love, Sierra's love for you, <laughs> Trevor, covered over all of this sort of a sin management. And then this, this, this notion of being hospitable to one another, hos- hospitality is, is so important in the life of church and the life of community. Hospitality is where we get the word hospital after all. And so that's kind of what we are. Uh, in the church. And, and as we are hospitable to one another, we become good stewards of, of that which we do not own. We do not own our bodies. We don't own our gifts. We don't own this, uh, the church or any of the, the possessions that we have. Uh, we're stewards of those things that God has given us. And, and when the scripture talks about the manifold uh, gifts of God, it's all the things. It's just so many of them. We can't even count them. And, and we serve one another in that. Um, and, and as we do, we develop a greater capacity uh, for love. I remember being asked a question one time um, as a young person, um, did, whether or not I felt loved. And I quickly replied back, of course. And the person looked at me sort of with the uh, astonishment on his face. And he said, man, you, you'd be surprised how many people quickly say they feel loved. Uh, because so many people are walking around uh, burdened, um, carrying uh, heavy, heavy burdens, um, and and our views of love are distorted. Um, and so, in in our distorted views of love, we tend to worship things, <laughs> created things, and not the Creator Himself. Um, but we have a creator that's calling us into a deeper understanding of the fact that uh, God the creator is good and true and beautiful. And, and we're not beautiful uh, necessarily, but we can be conduits uh, of his goodness and his truth and his beauty. And so, I mean, my, my call as we uh, live more into love is to like move away from trying to control love or manipulate love or hide from love, but um, rather be open uh, to receiving more of God's love so that we can be a conduit uh, for his love. And, and God's love, as you uh, so you put so well, Trevor, is, is a gift of grace. I mean, it's, it's not about managing sin patterns. It's about receiving the gift from God so that then we can share the gift uh, with, with one another. And we do that as a body with lots of different attributes and talents. I, I say we, we do that with unity in distinction. Um, we are distinct. Your marriage is, dis- there are two distinct people in our marriages. Right. Um, there are distinct people who live in our homes. Um, we get to let everybody offer their distinctives, even if it grates on our every nerve. That's just a shortcut to holiness, I think. Um, but we we achieve some level under uh, the power of God of uh, unity in that in that distinction in that shared uh, community. So um, <clears throat> in that shared community, we create an oikonom an oikonomia or an a, a way of of seeing the economy work uh, because 
all of the different gifts and, and things that we have to share create economic resources. So, you know, in sharing stories, I've made an investment. Um, in making food for people, I make an investment uh, in in life. And so I, I just want us to be able to kind of like uh, zoom out as we think of the huge amount of economic potential that we have in the life of the church. Um, uh, Wendell Berry says that to be uninterested in economy is to be uninterested in the practice of religion or culture or character. And so that just should should make us kind of like tilt our heads a little bit and go, huh, I've never thought about economics or the economy in any other way than, you know, an economics report or uh, how, how much money is in my bank account. But like when we see um, this idea of unity and, and distinction and, and sharing of gifts we actually become the household of God that is a great uh, economic engine and in, in that it is, of course, following the God of abundance, um, not the God who doesn't, doesn't want to give good gifts to his children, but the God who is, is abundant. He gives too much, too much bread and too many fish and too much wine, all of those all of those uh, things. So um, the challenge uh, for us as, as people, as we think of sharing our gifts, is to think about um, the oikos, the household of God that takes all of our little gifts and all of our families and all of our experiences and all of our stories uh, to build the great big family of God. So that's this this idea of oikonomics and, and particularly as we think about um our inner life and our spiritual development and our spiritual sharing. So uh, once again, know that you can share uh, your various uh, spiritual gifts. Um, we're interested in knowing your faith story. We're interested in knowing all of the, you know, what resources are you using to develop your faith life? So you can you can do that by going to clifftemple.org backslash share. And we'll keep, uh, we'll keep this going over the next few weeks as we think about uh, sharing our gifts. And I thank you for listening. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord Jesus, we um, do ask that you would bring uh, our story to faith to mind right now. And we pray that somehow this week we would make an investment of that story in uh, the life of another person. We thank you that we are um, uniquely made by you. And we thank you that you're calling us to do many, many little things, um, but with great love, because you are the one that our heart loves. Um, you are our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the Cliff Tumble Podcast. Thanks for listening.